Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports, your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. John Siegel here with Mike Ingersoll talking UNC football. Mike, given that you are the IC resident expert when it comes to O-line play and that the offensive line is one of the most hotly talked about positions during this offseason, I wanted to get your thoughts on a couple of topics. To start with, let's go over what it's like on the offensive line when you are replacing multiple starters. In general, you know, how does that impact an O-line when you guys are having to replace multiple guys for the next season? Well, I mean, we had games where you had to rotate new guys in, um, you know, due to injury or or what have you, um, you know, Lowell Dyer spent some time injured. Um, Kyle Jolly had some injuries. John Cooper had some injuries. Cam Holland had some injuries. So, I mean, there were, there were situations where you, you know, Alan Pelk had some injuries. I mean, it, there, there, there were situations where you always had to rotate somebody new in, and sometimes it was more than one person. Typically by game day, we were able to get, you know, and I'm, I'm speaking in terms of 2009 and 2010, but 07 and 08 were the same type of situation. 06, same type of situation. A little turnover in terms of the starters on Saturday. Um, but you saw a lot of impact in practice during the week, and that, that definitely has an effect on the game that uh, that weekend because those are the guys you're playing with all week long. And if you've got new bodies in there, you know, there's they're dealing with a learning curve, so things aren't, uh, you know, aren't, aren't as smooth as they should be. And there is something to be said for the adage that practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. So when you're trying to get guys up to speed, you know, you're spending more time uh, teaching them and getting them comfortable than you are preparing for the game. And that has a detrimental effect on everybody down, you know, everybody on the offensive line, because we've talked about this plenty of times. And it's it sounds cliche, but it's the truth. Um, you know, all five guys do have to play together. Um, you are only as strong as the 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 worst player on your offensive line and or the guy who's having the roughest day. It's, you know, like a hole in the dam type of situation. So. You know, spending that week uh, wasting time really uh, getting guys up to speed from a comfort standpoint and just from a general, you know, understanding standpoint, it'll affect the game on Saturday. And that's what you'll see sometimes, even if you have the normal five starters out there, if all five guys weren't practicing together all week, you'll have an issue. So we had those we had those problems. We had guys that were hurt and we had to to rotate guys in and out during practice, which had a trickle down effect on the weekend. So when you're looking at the blocking schemes that Coach Cap utilizes at Carolina, would you describe those as, you know, a little bit more of the complex style where you really have to have guys get that practice time that you were talking about in order to execute? Or do you think it leans more towards the depending on just the individuals physically performing? Yeah, well, it's far less scheme than it is technique. And there's really only... Uh, you know, I, I can put this in a box. You know, I'll frame it like this. In the NFL, there's two offenses that exist. There is the old Bill Walsh 49ers West Coast offense, and there is the 
uh, New York Giants offense. And the reason why is that you had you have Tom Coughlin protégés all around the league as offensive coordinators and as head coaches now, and you have Bill Walsh protégés, and that coaching tree uh, makes up the other half of the league. And that's and 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 the NFL is a copycat league, so you 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 only have two offensive sets, and you have variations of those sets, but you have your you know your run and gun West Coast offense, and then you have your traditional your I formation zone scheme. New York Giants traditional pro style offense um, in college. You have the same thing when it comes to offensive line blocking, right? Because in college you have the same type of situation. There's um, you have your, uh, what is your, what's your wide open, your, your, you know, your five wides, you know, Rich Rodriguez spread offense. You have your spread pro hybrids, which is what Fedora runs and Carolina runs. And then you have your traditional pro style offenses, which is what Alabama runs. So you only have three offenses, which means you only have three ways to block plays. And there's really only three ways to teach technique. I mean, each one of those offensive schemes has technique unique to it. Your pro style offenses are going to be more zone driven. Um, you know, again, I'll reference Sam Pittman, look at Georgia, right? Um, that, that, that offense, which is the, you know, same John Shoup type of offense. It's, it's the Alabama type of offense. All the, if you put those guys on film, all of their technique is going to look relatively the same. Every single blocking scheme for every type of play, inside zone, outside zone, it's all going to look relatively the same. Your gap schemes, so uh, powers, counters, things like that, they're all going to look the same no matter where you're running them. Whether you're running in a, in a pro spread like we run, where most guys are coming out of a two-point stance or traditional pro-style offense where guys are coming out of a three-point stance, that technique, that technique is going to look the same. It's a lot of hips and shoulders and eyes because it's, a lot of, it's, it's all double teams. It's all vertical movement. There's no sideways movement. There's no cutback lanes. You're hitting front side gaps um, as the ball carrier. So that stuff looks identical. So really there's only three ways to teach offensive line technique uh, in, in college. And there can be little variations on that, and that's what separates really good coaches from good coaches from bad coaches is the little variations um, and, and the way you can utilize the players and the skill sets that they have to fit into that scheme. You can take that the square peg, which might be the player, and fit them in the round hole, which is your, your technique, uh, I guess you'll call it your, your technique book. So the way Coach Cap teaches things, we run that spread pro offense. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's not terribly complicated, the technique that he's teaching, and I think he does a good job teaching it. Um, when it's executed properly by the players, and this gets to your question, when it's executed properly, properly by the players, it works. And I say that, you know, I could say that about any scheme or technique. Um, when it's executed properly, it works because everything is designed to succeed. Nothing is designed to fail, right? Uh, but yeah. some things work better than others. And Cap's technique, his concepts, they work. Uh, they work very well. And it's, it's, it, they mirror a lot of, uh, you know, they, they mirror Sam Pittman stuff. Um, you know, and I referenced Pittman because, one, I played for him, and two, he's widely considered the best offensive line coach in, in college football right now. And, he, and for good reason. But there's a, lot of, there's a lot of Sam Pittman influence in that. There's some Bob Bostad influence in that. Bob, uh, I actually played for Bob in Tampa. Bob was the offensive line coach for Wisconsin for all those years. And again, one of the best coaches I've ever had. And I got, you know, I, I can speak from experience now. I was very fortunate to have been taught by Bob Bostad. Um, you see a lot of that type of, that old Wisconsin ground and pound type of technique. You see that mixed in with what Cap's teaching. So he has incorporated what really amounts to a hybrid between what's now the prevalent zone scheme, zone technique, um, you know, your, for your more athletic offensive linemen. And he's, he's incorporated from the other side of it. He's incorporated that ground and pound old school Big Ten technique for their gap scheme stuff. And it works well when your players execute it. Um, so 
you can teach anything, but if your players can't play and their players can't do it, you're not going to be successful no matter what you're teaching. If Nick Saban doesn't have offensive linemen that can put their hand on the ground and actually move people, it doesn't matter what you're teaching them because a good player can move somebody no matter what the footwork or shoulder integrity is that you're teaching him. If you got guys that just can't do that, you're just, you're not going to be successful no matter what they're being taught. So, you know, it's, it's, it's the old adage that Jimmy's and Joe's are better than X's and O's. Um, so to, to answer your question, the long, long answer I just gave is summarized very simply in players play. And if your players can't play, you're going to lose. That actually leads me kind of nicely into the next thing I wanted to ask you about, because one of the names that we've seen pop up here has been the high four star offensive lineman, freshman, William Barnes. And from what I've kind of just noticed as well, I think you are 100% correct that, especially on the O-line, you need guys that are just physically developed. I mean, there's a reason why you see a lot of teams that have those redshirt seniors on that line that can be dominant. But to flip that around, when you have a freshman like William Barnes, how difficult is it for a true freshman to try to break into a college O-line and actually do what you're talking about, Mike, which is execute those plays that have a very high level of technique required football at the college level is much more cerebral than it is at the high school level so the hardest part is not so much the physical stuff if you have a guy who's physically gifted right a physically gifted player he'll win more times than he'll lose now the question is what's that percentage what's that ratio look like right is it out of 10 plays he wins six he loses four right or does he win nine and he loses one what you're going to see is as players get more experienced and they become more comfortable, you know, as you become more comfortable, you experiment more with your own technique. You find out what works for you within the realm of technique you're being taught from your offensive line coach. And that only comes with experience. That comfort level only comes with experience. So what you'll see is your older players, like you just alluded to, your older players, they'll win nine times, they'll lose once, they'll win eight times, they'll lose twice out of 10 plays, right? That's what their ratio is going to look like. But a good gifted young player, he's going to find a way to beat guys just because he's a more dominant physically at the point of attack, or he's just more athletic, but he's just doing it off of pure athleticism, pure natural ability. The hard part for young offensive linemen, this is a topic we've talked about before, and it will be true until the end of time. It was true with me. It's true with everybody. No matter how smart you are, no matter how good you were in high school, the playbook is much more dense. And and the talent you're lining up across from in the ACC, I've always said the ACC produces some of the best defensive linemen in every NFL draft every single year. It's a defensive heavy conference. It has always been. It will always be. Um, it's So you're lining up against guys who can play over there on the defensive side of the ball. So there's a learning adjustment from you went from being the man to your losing, right? Every once in a while, you're getting your butt whipped every once in a while. So you got you have a little hit to your ego. And then your head is swimming because these play concepts and stuff, you don't go over in high school, right? You're not going over various motions and you don't need to understand route concepts as a tackle because you need to know when to cut and when not to cut. When's it, when is it a three-step drop? That's a slant, you know, an inside route. When's it an outside breaking route where you don't need to cut? You know, when is it? Uh, when do you have more time? How deep is the quarterback's drop going to be? Those are, those are all things you never had to think about in high school because usually when you got your hands on a guy, it was over. And it didn't matter what the play call was because you were going to hold them, whether it was three-step drop, five-step drop, 28-step drop, you're going to hold them the same amount of time that kid wasn't getting around you. But in college, it's a totally different animal. The run game is totally different, right? So in, in high school, you have your standard base packages that you run. You run a power and you run a counter and you run inside zone and you run outside zone. And that's it. 
you might have a sweet play. You know, maybe you got some type of toss play or you have some some crack play where, you know, you get a wide toss and you got somebody cracking in, you pull a tackle. Maybe you have something, a wrinkle that we call that at Butler High School, we call that 28-29G. That's, uh, you know, the high school I played at. That was our bread and butter. That was our little wrinkle. But everything else was pretty basic. In college, you have your basic package, which is essentially that package, right? Your two inside zones, your two outside zones, and then your gap scheme, which is your power and your counter. And then you have 14 variations of every single one of those. And based on the variation, your assignment changes or your technique changes slightly. Your hip direction, your shoulder integrity, right? Your, uh, your hand placement changes. The double team changes. Who you're looking for changes, right? Who you're reading completely changes. Um, and then based on the alignment, Defensive lineman is lined up in a G technique. So inside shoulder of the guard, some people call that a two eye, right? Or he's lined up in a three technique and he's got it, but he's got his outside hand down. You know, he's probably looping or he just has bad. He just wasn't taught right, right? But his outside hand down means he's looping. Well, that's going to change the scheme. Now you got calls to make, right? You didn't have to make calls in high school. So a true freshman offensive lineman has all of these things swimming through his head at one time. And that's just on one play. And it all starts with, do I even know the play to then get into all this stuff? So what a guy like William Barnes is going to struggle with, it's the same thing William Sweet struggled with, the same thing that no matter how good he was, he, and he was phenomenal, James Hurst struggled with when he was a true freshman. John Cooper struggled with it. True freshman, redshirt freshman. These are really, really, really good players we had, right? And they all had the same exact problems when they were young that they eliminated as they got older and got more comfortable and experimented with their technique and understood the playbook and understood the scheme and understood what they had to do from a responsibility standpoint. And you saw how good they could be because they ended up being that good. Early on in their careers, you know, Coop was a very a naturally gifted player. Coop was good. Coop wasn't the Coop he was when he graduated. Uh, James Hurst, same story. He was really good as a freshman. I used to say that James Hurst did stuff as a true freshman that it took me four years to figure out. But he made freshman mistakes, Right. He wasn't the same player he was when he was a senior or a junior. Um, and that's that's the case for every offensive lineman. You know, you look at Jason Brown, same thing. If you put on his early tape versus his late tape, it's different. Jeb Terry, another guy. Uh, Garrett Reynolds, same thing. You know, these are all really good players we had. And they all had the exact same struggles, which shows that there is one common denominator in when players struggle, and it's usually age or experience. So – a guy like William Barnes is getting a lot of buzz. He's got all the physical tools, and he's going to be okay because of that. Once he gets more comfortable and gets out of his own head a little bit, that's going to be the process. And that's where good coaching comes in. Uh, a good coach can identify that, and a good coach knows how to, how to break through to a player. You know, Every player is different, and your best coaches know how to assuage those fears and quell the apprehension that a lot of these young guys feel because they're not used to losing. They're not, loose, they're not used to not being the man. Um, a good coach can get through to a player and, and keep him calm long enough to where, you know, the playbook gets absorbed and the technique and the schemes get absorbed and the game plans get absorbed. And then the natural ability can be coupled with the understanding and the comfort. And before you know it, you have a consensus all American, Jonathan Cooper, right? Absolutely. Well, that's, I mean, that's great information, man. And obviously you lived through it. So I think everyone can appreciate that this is coming from someone that's actually seen this process time after time. Let's wrap this up, Mike, and real quick, how different is it to be an O-lineman in terms of the running back that you guys are blocking for? Because the other name that a lot of people are high on is Javante Williams, and he's a different type of back than what Carolina had last year, where you had two guys that were basically what I would call you know, the scat backs. They were fast guys, cut and go. 
but it looks like Javante is a little bit more of that power mold. So similar to like maybe he's not as big, but like the Ryan Houston that that was um, the running back when you were in school. Does that really influence an O line? And if it does, you know which which one do you kind of have a preference towards? Well, it's all situational football, right? Everything boils down to situational football, and you're going to know who you're going to have in the game. So, you know, on third down. I don't want to have to worry about creating some massive space on the backside so we can have some cute little cutback, right? And maybe we pick up 25 yards. Third and three, I want to know we're going to get three yards. So I want to know that if I am able to open up this front side gap in any way, shape, or form, that my back is going to hit that because that's what he's looking for. So, you know, third down backs, I mean, guys that we love, we love blocking for Ryan because he hit the hole he was supposed to hit nine times out of 10. He knew where he was supposed to go. He knew his responsibility and he did it. And he was very good at that for a long time. Uh, another guy um, finished up his career at Northern Illinois, but Jamal Wobble. We love blocking for Jamal Wobble. Um, he could cut it back when he had to, but on third down, he knew exactly where he was going. He hit the hole he was supposed to hit, and he was extremely successful on that. Um, if, if nothing more, just in practice, it's a guy we knew we could count on. Now, first and second down runs, they're going to be a little more finesse, right? Those are your finesse runs. That's your inside zone with a backside cut. That's you know maybe some variation off of a gap scheme, so like maybe a counter, some type of pull situation. But we are actually trying to open up a maybe more of a backside hole than a frontside. Or we can live with a backside cut into a blitz, right? So you run it into a blitz, you turn a, a three yards in a cloud of dust design play, you actually turn that into a finesse play, running it into certain looks. So you need a specific back for that. Um, Sean Drone obviously comes to mind. Sean was, was great at that. We love blocking for Sean when, when we knew he, when we knew the situation and we knew we had the right back in there, we could anticipate what was going to happen. We understood our responsibilities. So it doesn't really matter. There's no preference. Do I like the power back versus the scat back or versus the finesse back? I like the guy who's right for the situation. And if you're an offensive lineman and you understand situational football, then you know who you have in the backfield. The issue is when you get caught in a situation and you got a guy who's not your traditional third down back or he's not your first or second down finesse back or your every down back, I suppose you'd call him. You know, you get caught in a situation where you don't have that guy and you might not know what's going to happen because you know what your responsibility is. You know what the concept is, what you're trying to accomplish on this play. You know what your offensive coordinator is trying to do. He's trying to, on second and six. He's trying to open up a backside hole, right? But you've got your power back in there because we thought it was actually going to be second and one. We got hit with a five-yard penalty, right? So, and we didn't have time because maybe we were moving too fast, right? Maybe we were in no huddle. Something happened. We didn't have time to change the personnel. Now you don't know what's going to happen. Is your power back going to try and do something out of character and, and make that cut that he doesn't normally make as well, right? And is he going to burn you? Or is he going to hit the front side hole? You have to, at that point you start worrying a little bit. You st- maybe overthink it some, but you're far more concerned with making sure your assignment is at your, your your responsibility, your assignment you executed absolutely perfectly, right? And when you start putting that pressure on yourself in the middle of a play, it's it it, it usually has a it usually has a deleterious effect down the line in the end result. Um, you know, you can be a little more. You know, a guy that like Johnny White, another example, Gio Bernard. That those are guys that can make you right. So if you were wrong, or if you got beat a little bit, or your shoulder integrity wasn't perfect, or your landmark when you placed your hat and hands on a guy wasn't absolutely perfect, that guy could make you right because he was shifty enough, he was athletic enough. But if you've got a bigger back who's who's trained to just hit the hit a certain gap on a certain play, he knows exactly where he's going, he's going to hit his responsibility with no variation, and he's in the wrong situation with you, you know you've got to be a little more perfect and 
he's not going to make you as right as the other guy. And that's 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 where you see offenses get in trouble. It's just personnel issues, coupling the right personnel with the right situation and understanding situational football. And the best offensive linemen understand that, and they know how to adjust to that. The ones who don't, they struggle. It all comes back to the mental game, huh? Yes, everything, again, the college game, like I said before, we were talking about Barnes and freshmen. The college game is much more cerebral than the high school game. And then even, and then at the next level, it's a, it's, it's a, it takes it up a notch from that. Um, and that is the biggest adjustment for guys is, is the cerebral aspect of, of division one football, especially in a conference like this dominated by such good defensive players. Absolutely, man. Well, Hey Mike, really appreciate you talking to me. We will be back later on with more UNC football talk, but until then from everyone here at inside Carolina, have a good one. Thanks, John. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie.